Welcome to the 75th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a recap of Patrick's weekend predictions, we'll also recap week one of the college football season, and have some website content updates. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. Let's start in Major League Baseball, where the Giants took two of three from the Dodgers. Patrick incorrectly picked the Dodgers to win that series. The Blue Jays swept the A's. Patrick correctly picked the Blue Jays in that series. The Brewers took two of three from the Cardinals, with Patrick correctly picking the Brewers to win that series. And finally, the Padres took two of three from the Astros, Patrick incorrectly picking the Astros to win that series. So Patrick went two and two in his Major League Baseball predictions. In NCAA football action, number 10, North Carolina lost to Virginia Tech 17 to 10. Patrick incorrectly picked North Carolina. Number 19, Penn State beat number 12, Wisconsin 16-10. Patrick incorrectly picking Wisconsin in that game. Number 18, Iowa demolished number 17, Indiana 34-6. Patrick correctly picked Iowa to win that game. And number 5, Georgia beat number 3, Clemson 10-3. Patrick incorrectly picked Clemson in that battle of college football heavyweights. So Patrick went 1-3 in his NCAA football predictions, making him 3-5 overall in this weekend's predictions and bringing him to 166 and 127 overall, a 56.7% winning percentage this season. Patrick, your thoughts on this past weekend's predictions? Well, there was a point where I thought I was going to go 1-3 in my MLB predictions, too. Uh, it started at about, well, actually, no, it was at about 3 p.m. that the, the Brewers were losing 5-1 to one in the bottom of the ninth inning with only one out uh, to the Cardinals in the final game of that series as the Astros were losing 3-1 to one on the road against the Padres in the, in the finale of that series. I had already gotten the Blue Jays one right the day before, but every single series was up to chance on the last day, or on Sunday, the last game of each series. Uh, but it looked like it was going to turn around, and I had some good fortune coming. It looked like I might actually go 3-1, and one because the Brewers hit a game-winning, not a game-winning, a walk-off grand slam after getting one run to make it 5-2 to two earlier in the bottom of the ninth. They then got a pinch hit, grand slam by Daniel Vogelback to win 6-5 to five over the Cardinals. So I got that one right and knew that the worst I could do was 2-2. Two to two. Then in the same 10-minute span, the Astros hit back-to-back home runs off of Chris Paddock, pushed him out of the game to tie that game at 3-3, three to three, and I thought that they had all the momentum going into the rest of the game. However, they also had first and second no one out in the top of the ninth, still in the tie game. They grounded into a double play, that being Carlos Correa. Aledmus Diaz was then uh, was then was then uh, out for the third out of that inning as a pinch hitter, and then the Padres walked it off on a Jake Cronenworth home run to end that series. So, in total, I thought I was going one and three. Then I thought I w- or I thought I was losing both of those series. Then I thought I was only then I thought I was winning both, and then well, I ended up splitting right down the middle. But then I still thought I had a good chance of going 3-1 because Walker Buehler was on the mound for the Dodgers, had only given up three earned runs in total in three previous games against the Giants this season, and really, I mean, he hasn't given up many runs to anybody this entire season, but this game he gave up six earned runs to the Giants. I will also say that going into the series, I, I did think the Dodgers were going to lose with their bullpen game, considering that they were 2-0 with that setup earlier in the year against the Giants, and it just felt like, I mean... The Dodgers have not played well in their bullpen games or in their David Price games, which are sort of bullpen games, sort of not. 
uh, but I'll count them as as bullpen games. But uh, they, they, I, I figure they had to lose to the Giants in a bullpen game at some point, and considering that this is going to be the last one of the year, it was probably then. But then I saw Arias and Bueller on the mound, and I said those two are probably going to beat two bullpen games from San Francisco. However, Urias came out, pitched well, Dodgers scored first, jumped out on top, got an easy lead in Game 2 and an easy win. Then in Game 3, they were not able to score. They couldn't, They failed to score with the bases loaded twice. Uh, well, not failed to score. They failed to get more than one run with the bases loaded once and didn't score at all on the other opportunity. Uh, so really just a lot of missed opportunities for the Dodgers. Meanwhile, the Giants cashed in on all of their opportunities in the first three innings, didn't even score after the third inning, but they got six runs in the first three, some clutch two out hitting a lot of hits on a lot of mistakes by Walker Bueller, which are very, very rare. But when they do happen, typically people aren't expecting them and he can still blow a fastball by someone or his curveball moves so much that you can't, that you still can't hit it. But not the case with the Giants. They've seen him too many times, and they were able to win that game off that mistake hitting. Dodgers made it close with an Albert Pujols two-run home run in the top of the ninth, but ended up 6-4 to four after some some questionable uh, a questionable strikeout on Mookie Betts and some other, and and then an out by uh, Justin Turner. But at the same time, credit to the Giants to winning the season series and really being one of the only teams to take a game. Well, actually, no. The only team to take a game off of Walker Buehler where the Dodgers didn't get shut out, actually. Uh, his only two losses on the year were a combined no-hitter thrown against the Dodgers and another shutout against the Dodgers. So, again, really good performance by the Giants to end up stealing that series, uh, especially with the extra innings win in Game 1-2. But I will move on now to college football. Uh, overall, again, not too satisfied with the MLB predictions, but hard series, so 2-2 two and two is fine. North Carolina, I knew I shouldn't have picked them. I said on the last podcast that I would pick Penn State, Wisconsin, Iowa, Indiana, Georgia, Clemson, and whatever game that I thought a team would make an upset in. What did I do? I picked a game where I thought a team would get an upset, and I didn't pick the team to make the upset, and guess what happened? They made the upset. So, kind of dumb on my part to pick this game without picking it, and as I said, I was going to pick an upset, so I was actually thinking about, I, I was thinking, no, I actually do think North Carolina is going to win this game, so I thought, oh, I should probably switch it to LSU-UCLA, because I think UCLA is going to win that game, and I'll pick that upset instead. I decided against it, very bad decision, and in the end, you have North Carolina losing 17-10 to Virginia Tech. I won't go into the specifics of this game, because I have a lot to say about it later uh, in our other segment. Penn State beating Wisconsin was very surprising, but again, I'll, I'll leave some <laughs> some details out there. That one I was never going to pick otherwise. I think I was set on Wisconsin winning that game since before the season, just because I thought both teams would be a little bit off, and scoreless first half, they were a little bit off on offense for both of them, but I thought that Wisconsin just at home would have enough of a run game to just score through it anyway. Uh, they didn't. Iowa did demolish Indiana. I think there's no other way of putting it. I have a lot to say about that game later on, uh, but uh, that was honestly the easiest pick of the week. Nobody beats Iowa on the road, especially not an overrated team at number 17 when Iowa's barely ranked behind them. Uh, I think I can I can recall off the top of my head a top five Ohio State undefeated team and a top five Michigan undefeated team going into Iowa and losing on the road. Uh, it is not an easy place to win, and by the way, Iowa was not top of the cream of the crop team either of those years. They were just their normal eight and four selves. So I am not expecting, and by the way, even Minnesota in 2019 in their 10 and two season, same thing, one of the losses, Iowa. 
even after beating Penn State at home that year when Penn State also had a good team, it really is just really hard to win on the road against Iowa. I don't know what it is. I couldn't really tell you. Uh, but at the same time, I just know that it's a thing that nobody's beating them on the road. However, they do play Iowa State on the road themselves next week, so we'll see how that one goes. Uh, and then Georgia. I mean, you know what? I'm not going to say it. I will gush over Georgia when we go <laughs> to to uh, to that segment, uh, to, this, to our review of the week segment. But uh, I'm glad that I was wrong because I want to see someone knock off Alabama off the top of the SEC, and it looks like there might be a team capable of doing it. Uh, probably the most capable team since a former version of themselves that had Alabama really, they had Alabama losing a national championship game, and then the savior Tua Tagovailoa Tua came into the game in the second half. Nick Saban with a great decision to pull Jalen Hurts. Tua came in, won the game for Georgia or for Alabama, obviously not for Georgia in overtime. If if anybody still remembers that. That was the only time Georgia's been in the national championship in the playoff era. Then the very next year, the opposite happened where Tua was pulled for Jalen Hurts because Tua was injured, and then Jalen Hurts led a drive to knock Georgia out of playoff contention. So Georgia has some bad memories against Alabama, and I think that this team might be the one that could actually avenge it. But we'll get to more of that later. Overall, obviously not satisfied with going 1-3 in the NCAA, but I had a 3-1 head start, so now I'm actually at an exact even 500 record in both leagues over both seasons for the entire thing. All right, well, that wraps up our look at Patrick's uh, predictions from last weekend. His predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday. So now let's move on to uh, look at college football. We had a full slate of action this past weekend in college football, so the football college football season is officially started in our minds after that small uh, slate of action for Week Zero. So we're going to start with the first of many looks uh, at college football action this season. Patrick, let's start. What did, what did you think were the best games uh, in week one? I think the best game was easily Notre Dame against Florida State. That Sunday night game, I think it partially stood out a lot because it was the only game of its day. Uh, but again, the o- I think it was actually the only overtime game in the FBS this weekend. I can't remember another one. Uh, and again, between two good teams, not not just some random <laughs> Illinois against UTSA going to overtime or anything like that. It was really two good teams, uh, two big-name programs, and really some interesting stories with Mackenzie Milton and everything, too. Uh, you got a transfer quarterback, a transfer from Wisconsin. The week Wisconsin loses, his he goes in with a top-10 team. He transferred somehow to a better team, uh, and he takes a win on the road as his former team loses at home. Jack Cohn. Jack Cohn, that, be, being, that being Jack Cohn, yeah. Um, the second most interesting game, I think, was Georgia versus Clemson. Not not maybe the most, uh, the most exciting game to watch, but really a virtuoso performance on defense by Georgia. I don't think I've seen a team ever, including Alabama, beating them in the national championship game before. I don't think I've ever seen a team play as good play the defense that Georgia did against Clemson. I don't I haven't seen a single team shut down Clemson like that. Uh I don't know how, I mean there's no real clear-cut reason they were really just good at everything. They had coverage sacks, they also had pressure sacks. Uh they didn't give up a lot of rushing yards, they didn't give up any passing yards. And the defense came out with a pick six, which was the only touchdown in the entire game. So picking up the slack for the offense, too. Uh, there was something like, 
I think maybe through four or five possessions for, for Clemson, their average start uh, of the drive was at their own 11-yard line. So even while the offense wasn't scoring and after even missing field goals, they were still pin- they were still pinning Clemson deep with some good special teams too. And then Georgia's defense just would not allow them to get anywhere near a first down or two, just did not allow them to get enough momentum. And even when their offense gave up a turnover and allowed it and allowed Clemson a short field on the 50-yard line, they got a pick six out of it. So Georgia, and I think also with seven or eight sacks in the game, really just a crazy performance on defense by Georgia. But that's why it was the best game to me is because I haven't. I, I, I think if you see something you haven't seen before, it's got to be one of the best. And I think Georgia really did put on the best defensive performance I've seen in probably five or six years out of any team, and that's not an exaggeration. Look at who they played and look at what they did. Uh, the next one, I'm going to go all the way back to Thursday. Boise State versus UCF, a very under-the-radar game. Everybody was watching Ohio State-Minnesota, but I was watching UCF's Twitter and saw that there were five different 45-minute lightning delays and realized that UCF was going to have a game that had a game start time of 9.45 Eastern, and UCF was down 21 to nothing in this game and came back to win 36 to 31. A great win by UCF, but also the energy was crazy. Uh, It's the only game this weekend where I saw the camera shaking, trying to stay still, looking at the field. Uh, Other games were very, very loud, and there were plenty of moments where even the broadcasters stopped talking and let you listen to the crowd. I can recall three or four of them one in the Florida State game, one in the North Carolina game, and then also one in this one. But none were like UCF. I mean, it was really, really, really loud, even after the game starting at 10 p.m. And really, uh, don't play UCF after midnight, I guess is the takeaway, because they pretty much scored all their points in between midnight and 1.30 in the morning (laughs) Eastern time to make this comeback win. But really, a great game. Another game, I just mentioned it a little bit, North Carolina-Virginia Tech. Another energy game, a big tone setter on a Friday. Uh, Virginia Tech was just, from the second the game started, you could just tell that they had an energy about them. And I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I saw, the, I saw the crowd jumping up and down five minutes before kickoff and said, I got this prediction wrong. Looks like I'm going again next week to try to go 4-0. Uh, you could just kind of feel it. And again, they won 17-10. And also, a great all-around performance by Virginia Tech. I mean, there are plenty of things that were wrong with North Carolina in this game, but you have to give credit where credit is due. Virginia Tech did play a very good game uh, against a very experienced team, and again, a top 10 team, while Virginia Tech is unranked. Ohio State versus Minnesota was also a great game. Some more great energy in that one, that one also being on Thursday. Uh, And really just a a close game that I said could have been Ohio State on upset alert, and really it was. I mean, Minnesota did have a lead, not, not necessarily really, really late in this game, but in the, uh, third in the third, not late again, not late, but pretty, pretty, pretty well into the game, actually. Yeah, you're right. The third quarter, I didn't even feel like it was in the third quarter. It felt like it was the end of the second quarter. But uh, yeah, Minnesota did have a lead in that game. They had a chance to win. I didn't end up doing it, but Ohio State came storming back. Some explosive plays on oh, offense. Their whole offense. Uh, I think every single good. touchdown except for one was over 38 yards, I think. Uh, two of them to Garrett Wilson, one of them by their backup running back. Another one, I think, by Master Teague. They had, I mean, they had a ridiculous, just a ridiculous, long, big play. And there was also a scoop and score, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Just a lot of plays from Ohio State, a lot of big plays. 
Then I'm going to go with LSU versus UCLA. Uh, LSU had a decent amount of fans at that game, considering that, you know, it's halfway across the country and there was a hurt and obviously Hurricane Ida might have prevented some fans from traveling. But really a good game and also just good energy about the building. Even when LSU scored, it wasn't silent, which is always fun. Made it feel kind of like a bowl game or a neutral field opener, even though it wasn't neutral. It was obviously at UCLA. Uh, but then UCLA pulling off the upset obviously made that game even better. Just a lot of good... And, and by the way, these six are not the only good games of the weekend. They were just the really, 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 really good ones. The ones that resemble kind of late late week matchups, uh, but really early in the season. All right. What about uh, your most surprising upset or upsets? Well, I have five of them that I'm going to go with. Uh, the first one, Montana beat Washington 13-7. <laughs> Uh, FCS teams, well, there are five FCS teams all time who have beaten top 25 teams. This is one of them. So I think it's very obvious that when you have five of them, uh, yeah, one, whenever one happens, it's gotta be there. Uh, it's really just crazy that, I mean, it's just crazy that the Montana actually won this game. I don't really know how it happened because obviously when you see this matchup, you go, oh, gonna go watch something else. Watch LSU-UCLA. There were a couple good games on at that time, but did not see this one coming, very it was obviously. At Washington. It was also at Washington. 13 to 7. I mean, Washington didn't score. Seven points against an FCS team. It, hey, look, if you were to lose 60 to 58 and there was like some going for two at the end of the game or whatever, that's one thing. But to only muster up seven points at home against an FCS team, regardless of if they're ranked number nine in the FCS... It doesn't matter. It's awful. It is an awful loss. Um, so that one was definitely the most surprising. I'm going to go with another one. I think Northern Illinois over Georgia Tech. I'll start with the bad teams beating decent teams, and then I'll go to some of the better team upsets. 22-21, to 21, Northern Illinois beating Georgia Tech on the road. Very, very surprising. I mean, just in all for all reasons. Uh, ACC teams shouldn't lose to MAC teams. Uh, we've seen what a Mac against a Power 5 conference game should look like. It should look like 47-14, to 14, which I didn't make up that scoreline. That was Michigan beating Western Michigan. I completely said that intentionally. This is what Georgia Tech, North, Northern Illinois should have looked like. However, it didn't look like that. Instead, Northern Illinois beats Georgia Tech by going for two at the end of the game. Yes, I was foreshadowing talking about if some team beats you like that. That's why this wasn't the biggest upset, because not only is Northern Illinois not an FCS team, but Georgia Tech was down 14-0 and actually took the lead 21-14, came storming back, and then with 38 seconds left, gave up a touchdown. Okay, fine, we go to overtime. Nope, Northern Illinois is going for it. You deal with it. They didn't stop them. Basically one play, ending the whole game. So I think that was one of the bigger the bigger things that I was uh, that I realized, and uh, I mean... It, what what a game. I mean, honestly, I obviously wasn't watching it again because another matchup where it shouldn't be close, so why would I be watching that game? But Northern Illinois ends up with ends up with that win over Georgia Tech. Very, very surprising. And said a lot about the ACC, and we'll continue to I'll, I'll hammer at that one later. UTSA over Illinois, 37 to 30. The reason why this one is really, really bad has nothing to do with who's playing. Every single team that played in Week 0, except for UConn, played well. 
even New Mexico State, who lost 30-3 at home to UTEP, scored 10 on the road against San Diego State, and their quarterback threw for like 500 yards. Uh, so every every single team, all of them, <laughs> including the lost, worst team. Even the one that lost to Illinois. Exactly. Nebraska. Even Nebraska looked better. Every team looked better, except for Illinois, who came up with an, with an upset where they were the underdog by seven points, had no chance. I mean, they, they were not supposed to win against Nebraska, and all of a sudden, now they can't beat UTSA at home. I mean, I don't have, there are no words to describe how bad this game is from Illinois. Uh, and at the same time, they're, they're not the only Big Ten team to get upset. Uh, Michigan State upset Northwestern 38-21. to The upset itself was not the surprising thing. I think the line on this game was only three points either way. I don't know who was favored. I think it was Northwestern. But I'm not surprised that Michigan State was able to come out with the win. It's the fact that they won by 17. And it wasn't that close. And, yeah, and it was not close. It was way worse like earlier. Western. They had no defense. And also, I mean, well, I have I have something very specific about this game later, so we won't talk about everything in this game, but just it's just insane. that This was a huge, 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 huge margin that you did not expect to be a game that was going to be a blowout. You expected, you know, okay, it might be a close game. Michigan State could win, but close. Uh, no, not the story. However, I still have another Big Ten game to go. Penn State beating Wisconsin on the road. I, I listed it fifth because everybody thought the Penn State had a chance at least, but it was still a huge upset. Both teams looked awful in the first half, obviously evidenced Painful by the fact that neither of them could score 0-0 zero to zero at the end of the first half. But Penn State wins 16-10 to 10, despite missed extra points, despite I think a missed field goal, maybe two even. Uh, but, you know, they won the game. They won the game. And that's also what made it surprising is that normally when you play on the road, you don't have the kind of margin for error. Just ask Indiana about their margin for error at Iowa. You don't have this kind of margin of error playing in the Big Ten on the road. Penn State had did, completely squandered that margin and still won the game, which was what was really surprising to me. So Wisconsin was not able to cash in on those mistakes. One for four in the red zone. Just an awful performance by Wisconsin. At home. Uh, and those are that's all I have for the most surprising upsets. All right, let's go. Yeah, I mean, that, that I'll just echo that Wisconsin-Penn State game. It was just sloppy and surpri- surprising how the upset happened, right? Penn State did not come out guns a-blazing. Uh, Wisconsin just had a total flat tire. All right, let's get to your least surprising upsets. Well, I'm going to start with UCLA over LSU. Uh, pretty much every single, uh, every single person's upset pick heading into the week. Uh, 38 to 27. Maybe I'm surprised a little bit by the margin because this wasn't even an 11 point game. This was really an 18 point game. Just one garbage time touchdown by LSU to bring it from 38 20 to 38 27. Uh, but that's the only thing that was kind of surprising about this game. I, I just feel like everybody knew UCLA had the advantage. Obviously, by the way, talking about teams who played in week one, UCLA looked like they were a week in week zero. UCLA looked like a team that was not necessarily in midseason form, but that had played a few games and had chemistry, LSU looked uncoordinated, uh, which is what you'd expect, which is what you'd expect by a team playing with a backup quarterback who won a quarterback competition by his, by his counterpart getting injured uh, at, at on a fishing trip, by the way, which there's so many things about that, that I could talk about. Um, But 
Also, I feel like just because of the fact that UCLA had played a week earlier and the fact that they still weren't ranked, which was obviously because there is no other poll that they rank after week zero, but I feel like they still felt like they had a chip on their shoulder and were underrated just because they could see next to their name there's nobody ranking them. Uh, and they see LSU as number 16, a shell of what LSU normally is and, frankly, what they will be for the rest of the year when they get their quarterback uh, back, t- to be quite honest. Uh, I don't think this is the end of their season. I still think they have plenty of potential. Uh, they really just, UCLA played a good game and pretty much did exactly what we thought they would do to get an upset. Uh, and the same thing for Virginia Tech over North Carolina. Although I am surprised that Sam Howell threw two interceptions in the fourth quarter, uh, dating to that game, dating to the start of that game, had zero total turnovers to 19 total touchdowns in the fourth quarter in his entire career, not just last year. Uh, and then that game threw two interceptions in the same game in the fourth quarter. That's the reason why North Carolina lost. Another great win by Virginia Tech. Now, let's, or I should say again, a great win by Virginia Tech. These last ones are least surprising for a different reason. Holy Cross beat UConn 38-28, and Eastern Tennessee State University beat Vanderbilt 23-3. So, when you hear the names who won those games, you're thinking, how is that not surprising to you? Why is it not surprising? Vanderbilt sucks and UConn sucks. I think, I, I to put it bluntly... Very, very bluntly. I, I think there's no other excuse. Like, th- at some point, you have to just realize that your program isn't very good. Obviously, Vanderbilt's not going to leave the SEC or anything. We'll frankly, the SEC, uh, th- frankly, the SEC could tell them you can stay for baseball but nothing else, and they'd be a valuable member because uh, their basketball team isn't very good either. But are you surprised that these teams lose? No. Because I have UConn going 2-10. I have Vanderbilt going 1-11. This was the one game I had Vanderbilt winning, I'm pretty sure, in my overall season prediction. So why would I be surprised that they had two, that, that those teams lost? Your UConn 2-10 might be in danger, though, now that Randy Edsel's gone. <laughs> Announced his retirement uh, at the effect of the end of the season. The school basically said, nah, after that performance, you're done now. Well, I think it's in danger because they lost to the only FCS team on their schedule. Oh, <laughs> that that's the real reason it's in danger. Okay. This was a game that they were easily supposed to win. Well, maybe they turn it around with their new coach. However, again, as I'm saying, there is no easily supposed to win when you talk about Holy Cross. When you talk about UConn, I almost said Holy Cross was the D1 team because UConn's that bad. Uh, when you have UConn and Vanderbilt, I mean, it, it, again, no loss is very surprising. This yeah. is not their first bad loss in the last few years. All right, well, I know UConn or Vanderbilt won't be on your most list of most disappointing teams because uh, you knew they were going to be disappointing, so... Uh, who were your most disappointing teams this past weekend? Wisconsin, easily number one. Uh, as you said, they came out, it was flat tire. It was just a literal, the whole game was a flat tire from them. Uh, no points in the first half. Defense couldn't get a stop in the second half when they actually needed it. Two big plays really won the game for Penn State. Penn State scored two touchdowns off of one big play touchdown, and then I think another big play where they got stopped, but at the same time got it all the way down to like the 15 or something. It was not, I mean... Wisconsin had first and goal chance to win the game in the fourth quarter, and they fumbled the snap and moved backwards and then ended up not scoring. They yeah, were, exactly. Uh, they, they were just very, very bad. And as I said, one for four in the red zone. That's really all you need to know about how bad this team was. Wisconsin was just bad. Yeah. Uh, I'll move on from them because I've been harping on that from the other seg- from the other little uh, question that you had earlier. So I won't talk too much more about it. Indiana for sure, was second to Wisconsin. Only reason why they weren't first is because everybody knows that you don't go into Iowa and just beat them easily. It just isn't a thing. So, I was not surprised to know that they had lost. 
However, Iowa picked Michael Penix off twice, or I think three times, and two of them, no, two pick sixes in the same game, which is just generally awful from uh, Indiana there. Although at the same time, I'm not as surprised uh, as for Wisconsin's loss as I was with Wisconsin's loss, just be or disappointed, I should say, just because, again, nobody goes into Iowa and just beats them easily, and every pretty much everybody goes into Iowa and loses. So not not disappointed that they lost. The fashion in which the score the the score makes it feel worse, but at the same time, Indiana only scored four less points than Wisconsin did. So when you want to talk about the scoring output, I mean, it, it, it's not there's not much difference between the two. Uh, really just an awful performance by Indiana. I think there's no other way to put it. So very, very disappointed in them. Obviously, after last year, you thought that they might have uh, the ability to actually be a good team again. But no, not happening. Uh, let's go to Illinois now. We talked about this before. You can't lose week two after beating a Big Ten team in week one. And sorry, Nebraska, but that means you're really, really bad. Uh, if Illinois beats you and then you turn around, okay, sure, you beat Fordham by a lot. Nobody cares. Illinois lost to UTSA at home in the same building that they beat you in last week. They lost to UTSA. I mean, nothing wrong with UTSA. I actually believe I have them winning their conference, but it still doesn't matter. It's a Big Ten team. This was one of the losses I had them taking. Uh, Illinois was just awful. And by the way, it's interesting that I have a bunch of Big Ten teams on here because one of my overall takeaways was not that Big Ten is bad, which I'll spoil that a little bit. Uh, But let's move on to a conference that was not too great this weekend. Oklahoma was easily the most dis- had easily the most disappointing win of the week. Only won 40-35 against Tulane. Tulane was not at home, even though this game was scheduled for a home game. Because of Hurricane Ida, it got moved. So Oklahoma ends up playing in Norman and still only wins by five against Tulane. And by the way, Tulane was a half, an, a, half a yard away from getting a first down on a fourth and 15 run. And had the they would have had the ball on Oklahoma's 30-yard line. They had a chance to win the game. There was only two minutes left. They could have won the game. I mean, Oklahoma should not be anywhere close. If they want to be a top-five team, be a playoff team, as they've been hyped up to be really the best Oklahoma team that we've seen, we think, they cannot be this close against this bad of a team. Tulane's not awful. They're not in the FCS. This isn't Montana beating Washington. However... They need to be better because they're in, they're supposed to be the number two team in the country. This is an awful showing. And by the way, their counterparts, uh, the team that's supposed to show them up in the Big 12, Iowa State, not too great either, only won 16-10 against Northern Iowa at home. Uh, not a good showing by them either, but at the same time, not as bad as only a five-point win by the number two team. Uh, as we said, there is a huge drop-off from the fifth best team in the country to the rest of the teams, we think. And Iowa State pretty much exhibited that, that even though Oklahoma can be bad, there can still be worse right beyond the bounds of the top five. Then I'm going to go with North Carolina just because how bad they were in the fourth quarter, a lack of overall execution, a lot of dumb penalties throughout the game, just a lot of dumb plays, couldn't execute anything, couldn't score at all. Uh, So again, North Carolina, not very, not very good in that game. All right. What about the flip side of it? Your most impressive teams? Well, I'll take the team that Indiana lost to. I was very, very impressed with how Iowa played this weekend. A very great showing by them. 
uh, then I'd have to go with UCLA. Even though I said the upset wasn't surprising, I still didn't think they'd win by basically 18 points, and even after a garbage-time touchdown, still win by double digits. I thought this would at least be a close possession-for-possession game, and really it was, and UCLA was down at multiple points, but they kept fighting back, and I think that was something that was really, really important to me, is that they they harnessed the crowd's energy, they kept the crowd in the game the whole time, their players were jumping up and down, waving their towels on the sidelines to keep the fans in the game. And it ended up paying off. They ended up getting the win, probably because they had a lot of energy throughout the game. It just felt like they were more coordinated, uh, had more chemistry than LSU. They also dominated the line of scrimmage. They were not getting pushed around. Early in that game, even though LSU was up and it was close, the one thing you said was not a typical soft, gutty little Bruins team. They were tough at the point of attack, both on defense and on offense. Yeah, they had a lot. Uh, th- their running game was way better than uh, LSU in terms of run defense and run offense for both teams. Uh, but I think to move on from UCLA, how about Michigan for most imp- for one of the most impressive? Obviously not the most impressive, but I just think that after the season that Michigan had last year and Cade McNamara took over at the end of the season but didn't win anything either uh, after Joe Milton didn't win any games. He, well, he, he led them to the victory of a, comeback victory of a run. But did not have a win as a starter. No, so he got hurt. Yeah. I, I think the thing is when you, when, you, when, you, when you have that team, it's always great to get a good win in week one. No, Western Michigan isn't a great, great team. Yes, Western Michigan is near the top of their conference, but they are near the top of the MAC. They're not near the top of the ACC or even the Pac-12, which is still weaker than the Big Ten, but still a much better conference than the MAC. Uh, but still, forty-seven to fourteen, or forty-seven, yeah, forty-seven to, to fourteen, uh, and really just again a good win by Michigan. Something that they needed, I think. I don't think they could have not even won this game in a close fashion. But I think this really needed to be a blowout to carry in the momentum to next weekend for their big matchup against Washington, which seemed Washington like a much luster. which seemed like a much bigger matchup. Uh, and really Michigan held up their end of the bargain and making it maybe possibly a top twenty five matchup, but Washington didn't hold up their end. But I think it's still important that Michigan had the momentum. And by the way, the defensive scheme looked a lot better. Uh, I think Western Michigan's coaches made some remarks about how they were really confused, how even with an experienced quarterback, they didn't really know what was being thrown at them. And that's pretty important because Michigan's had pretty much, even though it's been a good defense, it's been a very archaic scheme that Michigan's had for a while. Very predictable. So it's very, it's been, it's been pretty important to, uh, to get a different scheme in there and then really just make it different. I think it was just a good, uh, it's just a good showing by Michigan. The, Michigan looked like it was against a MAC team, but they had an impressive win over a top tier MAC team, and that's what a top 20, 25 team is supposed to do. They looked like a top 20. Right, and even, and even in Oklahoma, only exactly. one by five. So you can still take positives out of beating a bad team because even the best of the best don't exactly hammer the bad team. Cincinnati sometimes. had an impressive win over a MAC team by virtually the same score as Michigan yeah. did, and Cincinnati's going to be in the top 10, right. and nobody said that wasn't a top 10 team performance. So right. I tend to agree with you. All right, you're the most impressive... And, po- and the last team oh, that sorry. I have to go with is Georgia, obviously. Uh, I talked about just a virtuoso that they had on defense. So I won't I won't go back over that. I don't need to, but I mean, I could because it was really, yeah, really, it was really, really good. Defense, I mean... Um, but yeah, most impressive team of the week by far. I, I don't think there's any question about it. So again, great win by Georgia, uh, and really just the defense was the most impressive thing to me. And then one last team, Ole Miss, because their defense didn't give up 30 points for I think the first time in like two years. 
oh, they ESPN kept throwing up stats at halftime of their their best per- performance in the in the first half since like 2014 and 2016 in yards and points. They really needed that because everybody's been saying it. This team is a bottom of the top 25 team because they can put up 60 on anybody they want to, but they can't stop any offense from moving. Uh, that's been the knock on them the whole time. And by the way, now that they're now that we can say that's how they get into the top 25, I think it's safe to say that if their defense can continue to play like this, they could actually be better than the top 25. They might be a top 20 team. I'm not saying they're going to be. I'm not saying they're going to be the third best team in the SEC. But when you look at LSU this week, and when you look at Florida, and then you look at Ole Miss, I still think you can take. You could. You could make the argument that they might be the third best team in that conference. I won't take it that far. But you could, is the point. Uh, let's see how the defense holds up now that people have some film and they play a decent offense. Uh, that's my take on, on the Miss Ole Miss defense. The verdict's still out. Good start, verdict's still out. Most impressive players? Well, I said I didn't want to spoil Michigan State earlier. Kenneth Walker the third, 23 attempts, 264 yards, and four touchdowns on the road against Northwestern. 11 yards per carry against any team is very, 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 very impressive. To do it on the road against the team that won a division in the Big Ten last year is even better. I mean, it's really hard to to even describe how, how important that is, especially for a Michigan State team that has no hype at all going into this, te- going into this year. And by the way, I don't think this win really changes that either. Uh, maybe it puts them, maybe some people... Maybe some of the AP voters will give them some some votes, put them at 25-24, and maybe they end up in the others receiving votes category somewhere towards the bottom of it. But I, I don't think anybody's talking about Michigan State as a, maybe even as a team that gets eight, nine wins. I think this is a team that most people are thinking ends up in the five to seven win range at the best, uh, or seven wins at the best, five to seven range. So this win was pretty important for them and really a great performance by Kenneth Walker. The second one I have to go with is Jack Cohn. On the road, 366 yards passing on 26-35. Four touchdowns, only one interception against Florida State on the road on a Sunday night where basically all of the college football world was looking at that game. as a very good game between two programs. One of them that had one of their best seasons last year, and one of them that's really been struggling for a while now uh, since some really great years with Jameis Winston, obviously that being Florida State. So Jack Cohn transferring from Wisconsin in really looks like he picked up the Notre Dame offense well. A very similar scheme, though, to Wisconsin, so something that he's probably pretty comfortable with, but at the same time, he deserves all the credit in the world for playing like that on the road. I have to go with Matt Corral, uh, 22 of 32, 381 yards, and one touchdown only, but 55 rushing yards, and also another touchdown on the ground, just because Ole Miss just kept rolling over Louisville in the first half. It felt like there was nothing that could stop Ole Miss from scoring, and really there wasn't anything. Uh, so Ole Miss, again, pretty, pretty impressive on, on the offensive end and the defensive end, although you seem to not think so much of the defense yet, uh, which I don't blame you for. And the last one has to be Bryce Young uh, for Alabama, playing a good team, playing a top 15 team, 27 for 38, 344 yards, four touchdowns in his first career start. Not much more to say other than the fact that Alabama looked really, really good. All right, any overall takeaways from across college football week one? Well, I think the ACC is in another week year. I think Clemson really has no competition as normal. Uh, there could be You could take a couple results to, to evidence that. Duke lost to Charlotte 31-28 at home. 
Uh, my actually that was on the road was, surprisingly the because I don't know how they uh, anyway Probably I don't know why they were fans, playing a road game more fans in Charlotte than they would in Duke possibly uh, Miami obviously getting demolished by Alabama wasn't a good look because maybe they could have competed and maybe looked a little bit better uh, Georgia Tech losing to Northern Illinois was pretty bad uh, you also have Clemson losing to Georgia where that's even Clemson I, I said outside of Clemson they look bad even Clemson themselves looked bad so. Overall, the ACC had an awful week. A team that didn't have an awful week was UCLA. Uh, UCLA, I'm not saying this is a top 10 team. I'm not even guaranteeing they're a top 15 team. But I think this team is firmly in the top 20 at this point. I think when you look at what happened around the country, uh, they really have the best win to date other than Georgia over Clemson or maybe Penn State over Wisconsin. There are only two or three wins that you could say are better wins. Uh, And really, I just think... UCLA looks really, really good. There's just something... Sometimes you can tell when you're watching a good team. It doesn't feel like they're getting fluke wins. This feels like a team that is really winning their games because of their own skill, and they feel like they know what they're doing. They they really know what's going on there. Uh, and it's possible that all of the Big Ten had outlier seasons last year. Penn State and Michigan on the bad end of it. And Indiana on the ridiculous end of it. Obviously, Indiana finished above Penn State and Michigan uh, in their division of the Big Ten last year, which is something that's never even came close to happening. And really, they had to make a rule change to get Ohio State into the college football playoff by getting them into the Big Ten championship game. Indiana would have won the Big Ten in any other year if there was a weird schedule like that. So, obviously, a great season by Indiana. And then in the end, what happens? They lose their first game by 28 on the road to Iowa. So Iowa, where they are consistently, nothing's changed there. But Michigan had a great week, and Penn State waltzed into a team on the road that really a hard win to get, and they looked like themselves again finally, not not losing winnable games at home, winning easily losable games on the road. Uh, And then I would also say nobody is comfortable yet except for Alabama. You saw it with Oklahoma, you saw it with Clemson, you saw it with Ohio State, Iowa State, even Georgia's offense didn't look good, Oregon almost lost to Fresno State, Uh, Wisconsin, Wisconsin's loss, North Carolina's loss, Florida only, Florida threw two picks against FAU, which isn't very good, even, and then insisted that they knew who was starting at quarterback, which is a whole other discussion, and that just sets up Alabama and Georgia for a collision course. Uh, for the SEC championship game in Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. I just think there's nothing really in their way, especially when you look at how LSU looked. They don't look like a team that's capable of beating Alabama. And Florida definitely doesn't look like a team that's capable of beating Georgia at this point. Uh, Really, the only team left standing there is Texas A&M in either team's path. And by the way, Georgia doesn't play them. So not going to happen for them to slip up against, uh, for Alabama to slip up against Texas A&M. And Georgia doesn't play them, so they don't really have anybody else in their way. Yeah, they did say that this Georgia-Clemson game was going to have the most significant impact on the college football playoff, and I think you're right. You kind of their Georgia's path may be paved. Uh, anyway, that uh, closes out our look back at Week One in college football. But on a related note, we're going to be featuring some new content on our website, fourthand24.com. Uh, the first new content we're going to have is related to college football. It's a weekly top twenty-five poll as voted on two of the biggest experts in college football in the country, Patrick and I. Uh, The first poll (laughs) will be posted tomorrow, uh, and it will be posted every Tuesday thereafter. So look out for that on the website. And then, Patrick, tell us about the other new content coming to the website. Well, just like I posted my predictions for the entire college football season, 
I'm doing it with a little bit of a smaller league, just 32 teams. It's called the NFL. You might have heard of it before. Uh, yeah, I'm predicting the whole NFL season, and I'm doing it, and I will be posting that on Wednesday. Uh, and at the same time, it will be pretty much the same thing as the college football one, where I'll have who I think is going to be in the playoffs, who the overall records, who exactly they're losing to, and also where they are in the playoffs, and probably a full playoff bracket to go along with that. All right, well, that wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, September 10th, where we will have our weekly analysis of Major League Baseball action and talk about other important news from the world of sports. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including for his his picks for next weekend's games, his predictions for the entire college football season, his predictions for the entire NFL season that he just mentioned that will be posted on Wednesday, the first installment of our college football top 25 poll, which, as we just said, will be posted on Tuesday, and Patrick's MLB Power Rankings updates, which are posted on Saturdays. All of that content on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.